The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Hey Geeks, Adam here. Before we get started, just wanted to let you know what's going on with this episode. We are bringing you another installment of our Superhero Summer as it all draws to a close. And so this is from our Patreon vaults. We are releasing to you an episode of 90s Super Cinema, which is our Patreon-exclusive podcast where we review 90s comic book-related movies. This is a looser format podcast, and it also is for Patreon, which means that, you know, we let some expletives fly here Let, let's be serious not me or pete it's mostly michael he's doing a little drinking he's having a little fun during the episode so just want to give you a heads up that this is maybe a little bit more extreme than our normal episodes just in case you're listening with little ones but like i say we do this for our patrons and for ourselves because we're movie lovers and we're pretty passionate about it but the idea is that you know you can get this and so much more for five dollars a month on patreon.com forward slash wizards comics so if this is something that interests you, entices you to get on over there a little bit more of our yakking, then you will certainly enjoy this episode as we talk about Spawn. Ooh, we were looking forward to doing this one, and we certainly had a lot of things to say. So hey, enjoy it, geeks, and let's get to it. From the depths of hell to the heavenly heights, we welcome you to another edition of 90s Super Cinema. I'm Adam, and with me as always is... Unfortunately, Michael. <laughs> and? Hello, hello, it's Pete. Oh, How you doing? it's Pete. <laughs> I'm going to start off by saying, whatever movie we do in the future, we need to make sure that it's not something that is not streaming anywhere because <laughs> the, the lengths that had to go through to find this movie yeah which it used to be on hbo max and then mm -hmm. actually gone like kaiser soze just gone and the more we do these bad movies the more intense my drinking has become with these movies <laughs> i'm talking to two people that are not drinkers and yet i went from having like a beer in the first one to like a, a Moscow mule in the second one. Now I'm going to shoot up margarita by yes. like two months from now. I'm going to be drinking just bourbon out of a bottle. <laughs> you hear Let's that? Play a little inside baseball. I know Adam, you sent Michael a version, but he um, sort of said in the mix of this stuff that it was like a real bootleg looking version. So like, what's the backstory there? Well, Where's that okay. from? <laughs> yeah. So he so, sent me two, actually. I I, right. I I saved this for the podcast. So listen to this. <laughs> so Adam, you know, because I, I got him to switch over to Mac, which, you know, I'm proud of. But, you know, he he's still adjusting. Yes. But he has a lot of Windows software. And he's got like a VHS to, H, to USB converter thing. And, you know, was trying to rip a VHS and was having some sort of issues. And then we were trying to use... Um, uh, handbrake to tr sort of like rip a DVD and it wasn't working out. And however, he 
you know, was able to Frankenstein together a connection to <laughs> rip a movie, it looked like scrambled porn from the 90s. 100%. And it sounded like it as well. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was the ideal way to watch this movie. It probably you know? was. <laughs> and, More and pleasant then, memories. <laughs> w- within a couple of days later, uh, Pete sends me a copy, and Adam sends me another ripped version that actually was better. But I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I can't tell this guy that Pete already gave me a good version because he worked so hard to get me this piece of shit. <laughs> so I had to oh. just say, fuck it. Yeah, it was great. Adam, it worked great. Hey, no but I, I'm glad that this it, it worked out well for me because I'd been I didn't know I needed that software and I haven't been able to transfer my VHS stuff forever. Now, if you go to my Twitter account and my YouTube channel, I'm uploading 80s and 90s commercials and stuff all over the place. So it worked <laughs> out because now I have the ability to do that. But here's the thing, Patreon. So our last poll was Dark Heroes, right? So we put The Crow against Blade against Spawn. And obviously Michael would have gladly voted for these movies starring the late Brandon Lee or the great Wesley Snipes, who he loves. (laughs) But you guys love to hear him squirm. So you voted for Todd McFarlane's Alley Dwelling Avenger. Uh, And so, Michael, just in one word, what do you have to say to the folks who spent their hard-earned money to support our brand of podcast nonsense but they made you watch this movie one word one, one word, word. Again. <laughs> you're gonna be torture. Concise. it's gotta be more than four letters <laughs> torture, torture. <laughs> oh, okay well that's and, the and, thing yeah. and to 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 set to to set the record straight i don't like i love michael jai white i think he's a phenomenal actor i thought when they announced that they even cast him as this role i was like you couldn't have got somebody better. Like he is great, but this movie felt like just a cash grab, you know, to to capitalize on the character that was so hot at that moment, and they didn't care what diarrhea came out of this fucking thing. Well, so- now, now here here's the thing, Michael. Just a little bit of history on this, real quick, is that so Todd McFarlane was like in discussions with a lot of different studios, like Sid Spawn came out to adapt it. But none of them wanted to give him creative control, and especially because he wanted to make it animated and R-rated, like he did on the HBO series. He wanted to make yeah. it a feature which film. Which is way now. better, which is way, yeah. way better. Than- but then New Line Cinema came to him. Michael DeLuca is this guy who did a ton of you know stuff with New Line to get comic book properties produced over there. And he's like, oh, I love the comic. We want to get you over here to do it. And so he sold them the rights for a million dollars, just a million dollars, as long as he had complete creative control over the final product, uh, which is an interesting choice. And it shows about how much he cared about it. Uh, but taking us back in time here to this moment, okay, until well, it, where it finally gets made, um, the, the before the directors that we got, which was Mark, I don't know why he calls himself AZ Dippe, who was a special effects supervisor at ILM, and then he brought on his buddy Steve Spaz Williams uh, to make a film based uh, you know, th- th- they got it because they worked for ILM. They worked on Jurassic Park. If you've ever watched the movies that made us on Netflix. Yes, Steve they're Spazman, featured in it, yeah. Yeah, he gets interviewed. He's so proud of himself that he cracked the code on the T-Rex running, right? He and yes, the, the dog is named Spaz for him. <laughs> yes, in the movie. But this is what I wanted to get your take on, guys, because the original director they seem to be pursuing at one point was the director of The Crow, Alex Proyas who went on then to direct Dark City instead. 
So can you imagine what this movie would have been like if he had made it by comparison? Yeah, yeah I mean, this is it, it strikes me as really interesting because, again, you know, ILM is ILM. They've always been an industry leader and these guys are definitely some of the best at what they do. But this is also Mark's first directing gig, like outside of like a music video ever, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like a big property, you know, like, you know, I, I spawn, you know, among comic fans had recognizability. I don't know in the general populace if it had the same recognizability as like Batman or Superman or Spider-Man or whatever at that point. But, you know, certainly like spawn was big in the nineties. So it's kind of a big deal. And to kind of throw it, this guy's like first time out the gate, you know, it's kind of like throwing the dice. You're going to get what you get, you know, and given, you know, it's definitely a, a VFX and special effects heavy movie. But I think maybe a steadier hand, somebody that had kind of like played around in this sandbox may have been a smarter choice because I think my biggest critique of this movie, and don't get me wrong, I actually kind of like this movie. Um, I, I remember liking it a lot more when I was younger, but it just sort of, you know, doesn't like stand with the test of time as much as a few other movies from this era. But, you know, the biggest critique I have about this film is that it sort of can, if it's consistent about anything, is that it's inconsistent. It's very uneven. It kind of goes from having like really like, pretty decent, you know, looking special effects, especially when they're doing kind of like more like the big rubber, you know, monsters and versions of things um, to like any of the sequences that take place in hell, which are just like God awful oh. trash. You know? the, the, the devil that, thing is so bad. It's well, like, like the oh. one shot. And of course, we'll get more into this, I'm sure, as we get going. But the one shot that like I have to throw under the bus immediately is like the one shot where they punch him and he goes like flying and it's like a side view shot of him like going through I guess like walls and it's just terrible <laughs> it's like it's like something that I would have done in like my first year of college it's like a, like a static cutout of spawn from the side just going like slowly bing 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 and it's like did they really okay this did they really say yep good enough let's throw well, it in there Pete, here's the thing that, that you have to know about it is most of the movie was practical effects and they had spaz williams working on the violator scene like the whole production film like the vi the first violator fight in the alley and all that and they had but that's they had, the stuff that looks really good <laughs> right because he had all that time all everything in hell what they did was they cut a week out of the shooting schedule, <laughs> took a couple million dollars from this producer, and he said, we need more CGI. We need more CGI. So up to two weeks just before the movie was coming to theaters, they were trying to get those done because it was like a last-minute decision, a terrible decision, obviously. But yeah. that, so I wonder, as, as a gentleman who went to film school, like, can you cut them some slack knowing the pressure they were under, the decisions made? by the producers what do you no, think no no because no, like no. if you're <laughs> again i'm just gonna jump back to what i was just saying as far as the director end of things goes if you know that this is a big property you're pouring money into it now given like new line doesn't become like the creme de la creme until like lord of the rings a few years later but just compare that early 2000s versus 97 it's a couple years the technology definitely moves along Let's even just talk things like the crowd generation, you know, like you've got all those like copies of Spawn that is, is the quote unquote army. But, you know, 
what's interesting and to know about that is that that's all just mocap of Michael Jai White, like doing various things, you know, and they just threw it on the exact same spawn model that they were using through the rest of the movie and just copied it a bunch of times, you know, and it, it's like, no, like, you know, yeah, A, yes, you got to get the thing done. You got to get it out. But B, it's like, like that? Really? No, well, like, their, their know, like, original concept for be, hell. Like, yeah, that's good enough. <laughs> like they should have, they maybe should have stuck with it because originally they said what they did was they just had like a kind of a black room. It was like a nether space, and that was hell. And they had a puppet of Malbolgia. Malbolgia wasn't CGI, and that was another thing. At the last minute, they said make him make him uh, a, a CGI creature. We that's what the kids want, you know. So they just put that in there. So it's one of those things where you're just like, ah, oh, bad decisions at the last minute. Maybe it was better. Uh, we'll talk about that as we get into the plot and everything. I will just tell you, I read the novelization. Okay, so I've read through it, and there are quite <laughs> a few differences that you guys might determine would it have made for a better movie, narratively speaking. But I, I just want to take you guys to the summer of 1997 because Spawn had a lot of competition. Okay, but there were also a lot of crappy sequels that summer. Speed 2 Cruise Control, okay? Batman and Robin, Jurassic Park The Lost World, which ended up being the highest grossing of the year, but objectively a terrible film, and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So there was a lot of garbage coming out, but there were some classics. Con Air, Air Force One, a lot of airplane movies. The Fifth Element, <laughs> Men in Black, and to throw in a personal favorite of mine, much lower on the radar, is Bill Murray's The Man Who Knew Too Little. I love that movie. Uh, but then there was Spawn, right? And so what was your relationship to Spawn in 97, guys? Had you ever read a comic? Were you just familiar that he existed? So I was familiar that he existed. I never read a Spawn comic. I only knew of him through the pages of Wizard Magazine and, you know, seeing covers in the in the comic shop. And I went to the movie. I couldn't even tell you who I went with. Um, but... I remember being like, okay, this is like darker Batman, supernatural, you know, it's got elements of Spider-Man with the, you know, and it's a Todd McFarlane thing. So I'm sort of like, all right, I'll give it a go. And listen, like Pete said, when I saw it in 97, I liked it better than I did this time around. Um, but I, there, it's one of those movies where, you can see where it could have been good if they had just done this instead of that or removed this and leaned into that. Um, and there's a lot of things that I don't really buy into. And when we get further down the, the rabbit hole of this movie, I'll dive deeper into those thoughts. But Pete, okay. what about you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I was aware of Spawn. Um, I had not and still have not read a Spawn comic, despite the fact that I do own a couple. Uh, as a matter of fact, I even have the recent uh, Batman versus Spawn, which I was shocked to find out is the first time those two characters have crossed over, which seems No, it's the crazy. second. second. It happened in the 90s. It? We covered okay. it. We did I was going to say, yeah. like, it seems... <laughs> That's the only Spawn comic that I read, and I have the new one as well. Have not read it. Just bought it because of the Greg Capullo cover. <laughs> yeah, I do intend to read it. I just, like, uh, I have a permanent backlog that I need to get through. But um, you know where I saw Spawn? I did not see Spawn in the theaters. I saw Spawn. Do you remember when, um, like, Stars and, like, Cinemax used to do those, like, free weekends? Mm -hmm. oh, you know, yeah. and they just, like, would just, like, it'd be, like, 24 hours of just movie, 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 movie. 
So I was definitely speaking of VHS and and technology there. I was um, buying those like six and eight hour like VHS tapes that you could record that much time onto. And I would just like stick it running like first thing in the morning, like record six hours, set a little like alarm on my Casio to come back, start the next recording. And I just captured whatever flotsam and jetsam happened to be, you know, playing on stars or whatever it was (laughs) at that point. And it happened that Spawn was one of the ones that it caught. So that was the first time I ever saw it. It was on my bootleg VHS capture amongst, like, probably some other terrible, you know, movies that were, <laughs> were playing on this free preview weekend. That's wild. Stars, yes. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I, I definitely saw it in theaters. I saw, I saw it with my older brother. He took me to the theater for that. And it, it's one of those things where, like, again, I wasn't reading Spawn Comics. I definitely flipped through a few at my friend's house. I saw it on the shelf every time I went to the comic book store, but I wasn't buying it. But I just, I was so in awe of the fact that, wait, this brand new comic character has a movie now? Like, like I just I couldn't believe that you know the you know the production time was so quick on getting that produced. Uh, but here's the thing, guys. Pete, you're asking. I don't know how popular Spawn was in the pop culture. I was just seeing uh, our daily Spawn archive, who was the guest we had on our Spawn movie merchandise special. Uh, he was posting just this week from both Mad Magazine and Cracked Magazine parodies of spawn on the cover so if he was big enough to make the cover of cracked magazine i think it was just interior on mad i mean he was definitely making an impact yeah but you know i i gotta say like i don't know how like one-to-one that is because like mad and cracked particularly and i was a big cracked reader before i even knew what mad was (laughs) you know like that was kind of their thing they like they're us they kind of were always paying attention to like what yeah they did like mortal Kombat. yeah as a matter of fact i've got one sitting around here somewhere with like it's a whole issue on like spider-man versus venom so like i'm not surprised that they would come out with a comic book character what i'm more (laughs) thinking of is like would spawn make it on like the cover of entertainment Week? would he make it on like the cover of you know like that sort of thing I think that there's, uh, and again, I think this is image comics, and hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn or offending any folks when I say this, but like Marvel and DC are like the Apple and PC, and image is like the Linux, you know, it's like, it's it exists, it's got its like very rabid followers, but I don't think it's ever had those same numbers, you know, and again, it's different now where like you're, you know, my wife and you're like your average like person is like very into going and seeing the new comic book movie when it comes out. I think it was such a still like a rare niche thing in the 90s. And I think Spawn and one of the reasons maybe why, you know, besides the competition you listed didn't hit that mark is that it's kind of a dark property. You know what I mean? And like, I think this movie needed to be rated R. And I know that they like got rated R initially. They came back, they cut a bunch of stuff. They thought they'd make it PG-13, came back R again. They had to cut more stuff. And whenever that happens, you're going to leave good stuff on the cutting room floor. And I know Michael Jai White has been on record on like uh, like the Collider podcast or something talking about this, you know, like that, you know, the initial cut was a lot stronger story wise and things like that. And I think people's complaints at that time is like they couldn't quite follow 100 percent. You know, I think people who read Spawn, and I I know more now, I had to do my thing and look into the back end of this. It's not a one for one, but it's like this movie is kind of like fairly faithful to a little bit of like the Spawn origin in like the first issue. Um, So it's cool that they did that. It's cool that that he had such a hand, um, Todd, in, in writing it. But 
at the end of the day, I don't think he got his money's worth out of that creative control end of things, you know? <laughs> well, I, th I think you're right in certain aspects, but he actually has been on record, whether it's like on the special features of the VHS tape or just in interviews in Wizard and in like the, the movie magazine, he said, I was the one pushing the most for changes to the story i wasn't even like you know dedicated to my own source material i said let's make it more sci-fi let's make it a little different than what i did initially we don't even need the cape you know and, like they put the cape in eventually because well it's iconic but for him he that wasn't a necessary thing and it was funny pete you said would spawn even make you know the cover of entertainment weekly or anything like that he didn't even make the cover of Wizard. The movie <laughs> comes out. There's no Spawn movie cover, which I cannot believe. The only thing I can think of is Wizard at one point says, oh, we're, we're doing a Spawn special. We're going to do a Spawn movie special. And it doesn't come out. And I think Todd just went with a different company and they were probably a little ticked off. So they just took the stuff they worked on and shoved it into an issue. So it's kind of interesting how that happens. And I, I have a few pieces that I'll share as we talk here. But I will say this. We say now, like the, the Rotten Tomatoes score, right? The critics rating 17%, the audience rating is only 36%. But on August 1st, 1997, that weekend, it earned $87.9 million at the box office, which doubled its production budget, and it beat out Air Force One and Conspiracy Theory. Granted, they had been in theaters a little bit longer, but <laughs> I mean, coming in third to Harrison Ford and Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts at this time, that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, it shows that Spawn had some impact and some, you know, name recognition in people's minds. So it could have also been the fact that people tough. just want something different, you know, like, oh, I need to yeah. something, you know. Yeah, I think it's also always tough, though, to lean on like the the Rotten Tomato scores these days for, for what something would have felt like or been at that time. You know yeah. what I mean? Because like people watching it in 2020 and going and rating that 36% have a very different perception than somebody who is just seeing that, you know, and, you know, that was what the peak of capability in some cases for ILM was at that time. Now, given you look at something like you mentioned, like men in black or, or things Press like that, about that same summer, you know, they're doing some better quality work, but you know, it shines some light that they kind of like did this last minute for bottom dollar, you know? <laughs> yeah. You get what well, you get, I guess. They even said ILM had to develop new software to accomplish some of the stuff that they wanted to do in the movie. So when your first time out also, it's also not gonna look great. Plus it was it was actually farmed out to like, what was it? I think, what, what did they say? Like it took 11 months to get all the CGI done. There was like 70 people, I think what, 22 different companies that they sent it to. So also it's not all ILM, even though the majority was, but let's start getting into the movie here. And Michael, I have to ask first thing way back when it's not even officially a comic book movie, but we discussed dark man on a bonus episode of the podcast and you were disgusted having to look at his gross face for 90 minutes. How <laughs> did you feel staring at the burnt spawn for that period of time? Less disgusted than dark man. Oh, um, I actually, the, honestly, the, the clown slash violator was harder to look at than spawn. In Which version? The, the clown version of him? All, all the versions. <laughs> every, every moment that John Lake was almost on screen, I don't like it. Whoa, no. And I like oh, him wow. in something. Yeah. But I hate him in this movie. I hate him in this movie. He's worse in this movie than 
Martin Sheen. This is horrid. Like I just can't stand it. It makes me nauseous to even think about it. I mean, I'll take an opposite stance. I thought he was actually pretty like one of the things that works for me in this movie is some of the actors. I'm not gonna say all of them because there's a few that are kind of clunkers. Um I'm talking specifically there about as you said, Martin Sheen, and also uh, Al's wife. Oh my God, she's as stiff as a board. She's oh. <laughs> honestly, but and, and with speaking of her, you know, we don't even really see them in a scene together when he's alive. Like I know they cut that scene out because there was a scene of them together there's, prior there's montage, to him getting killed. Yeah. Yes, but well, we there's never... like he's talking to her. When they're pulling out of the driveway in one scene early into the movie, aren't they? Aren't they both at least know, on screen there at the minute, same time? That, that's the it's, thing. Yeah. It's <laughs> a blink and you miss it. Who's crying out like Wanda, like he loves her yeah. so much. We are never given any justification as to why their relationship mattered, yeah. why it was strong. Even at the end, there's no resolution of like none. Like the and, and you're right, she's not a good actress. And I, I have to assume that's why they cut everything down. They're like, it's not worth it, like it's not delivering the emotional content we would want and it's slowing down the movie because he could be shooting people and fighting monsters <laughs> but uh, uh yeah. john lake Wazamo, I, I actually you know what's funny is i was watching it for the first like 10 or 20 minutes that he would pop on screen i was like danny devito and then i was like no no it's john lake Wazamo because I, I, I was having like some like weird misfire in memory where i thought both of them were in the movie for some reason but i'm like no it's john lake Wazamo doing his best Danny DeVito a la the penguin. <laughs> I mean, if they had got Danny DeVito, all they'd have to do was literally paint that blue on his face. And he, yeah, the but that's the thing. Like, you know, John Lake was, I was like, dang, that guy's, he's basically like squatting to walk around the whole time. I was like, I got to give him some credit. He, he went for it in this movie. Not the least of which was like real life eating those maggots on the pizza. <laughs> you know, like he's like, I'll do it one time, so get it right. But I was like, I gotta give him credit. He went, he went in for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yes, he's like annoying and gross, but that is the point of the character. You should hate him. I mean, I know everybody say, "Oh, he's supposed to be funny because he's making the jokes." Well, I mean, they're they're gross jokes, so that's just they're not funny out. jokes. That's yeah. for sure. Although I, I do like when he's just like, "Ah, bad crispy clown, not like." You know, <laughs> just like oh, I always called him crispy. I, I I enjoy that that nickname. He's really me. good up. Until they do that, like one bit with the little kid where he's like, his eyes are bulging out, like out of like uh, yeah. Roger Rabbit or something like that. And with the balloon head, I'm like, why? Just don't even bother. Yeah. So this is, let's get into just like the basic plot. I'm, everybody listening to this, I'm sure, knows the basic plot of Spawn. You know, there's a an assassin for a government agency who's like the best. He's killed a ton of people. He goes, he does one more job, then he gets killed by Jason Wynn, who is played by Martin Sheen. So what I want to ask you guys, that that's just the premise. He goes to hell, he wants to come back to see his wife. That's the basic premise of Spawn. But can you guys describe Wynn's plan that has to do with Heat 16, <laughs> why the clown wants Spawn to kill Wynn, and then Malbolgia's plan overall to betray everybody? Do you guys... Are you able to follow that by what you saw? I in the can movie? follow it. Okay, yes. let's hear it, Michael. Can I explain it? Yes. But also, no, because <laughs> it's the most ridiculous, convoluted mess. And, like, honest to goodness, and this is a slight diversion from what you're asking, but the whole movie is kind of like a massive plot hole because if the whole premise is to get the Heat 16 to essentially 
create an early apocalypse and that's what's going to jumpstart, you know, like the armies from hell attacking heaven and everything like this. Like, you don't even need Spawn. You don't need him for any of that shit. Like, just get the guy to, like, put the chip in himself and then just have Violator kill him. (laughs) Well, he's here's the thing that I'll start with a little bit of the novelization here. The thing that they hit a little bit harder in the novelization is that Al Simmons was, like, the chosen one for hell. Like, the idea was that they always were following him, waiting for the time, letting him build up enough sin and, you know, death and stuff in his wake that when he died, he could go to hell and become, you know, have to make that deal with Malbol just so that he would come to Earth and have one last chance, basically, uh, and that if he ends up back in hell, that he has to lead the army if he kills Jason Wynn, which he doesn't want to do. But it's like, but this, there's this whole thing. And I'll, I'll, when I tell you about the ending, you're really going to think it's crazy. But he is this <laughs> guy that is being nurtured all his life to become the ultimate killer, to become the general of hell's army. So I like, do that's think the big that part. the movie's pushing that narrative too, though. You know, they kind of like several times, like very like just exposition wise say essentially that you know like you know like we've been grooming this guy We're watching you know, him you know now yeah I, I think that the movie i mean obviously okay. you'll be able to push it more in a book because you have yeah. more time to, to stretch that out but i think that they pushed that in the movie too but i just don't think there's a clear reason why you know what i mean uh like you know i i think the one part that they failed to hit in the movie and i'd be curious if the book did any better version of this is like they give you that lead in of like, we need this guy. He's the one that has to lead the army. But then they don't really show why spawn specifically until there's kind of like that, like the scene where they go back to hell and like all of a sudden he just has like magical unexplained, like green lightning powers and he's zapping everybody. And it's like, you know, it's like all it took was Cagliostro saying to him one time, like, Oh, well, you know, you're just flying by instinct right now. If you actually think about the stuff you want to do and all of a sudden the guy becomes green lantern. It's just like anything he can imagine is happening. You know, like he just because he's like a Mary Sue. He just kind of like flies off and he's like, I can all of a sudden do all this stuff really well, you know? Um, And it's, it's kind of like a bummer because I was sort of hoping they could like build up some of that more, but it's sort of like he has like one talk with Cagliostro and instantly kind of knows how to use the cape and how to use the chains and how to, you know, do all the different stuff. So he's stuff. Ray from yeah. Force Awakens. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the other, like, uh, you know, everybody calls <laughs> right. the Mary Sue of the world too, right? You know, but it's kind of, um, it's just kind of like a bummer because I guess he has that very much just like, yeah, that sort of like chosen one and therefore he just knows how to do all these things kind of just magically all of a sudden, you know? But it's like a bummer because it's like the first few things out of the gate before that, you know, Violator hands him his ass. And like, that's kind of a strong point for me, you know, like, you know, I'm like, it was like a great fight scene, you know, and it's like, you know, he ends up in that like Jesus pose on the fence because of course, but like, you know, it's kind of cool that he sort of like isn't doing it then. But then like, like I said, like that one talk and all of a sudden next thing he's got his little like crotch guy grabbing what's her face's leg. Yeah. Priest, you know, like all this sort of stuff. And he knows how to use the Cape and all these like inventive ways um yeah. well i mean I, yeah. I will tell you pete so he does have a lot more interactions with cogliostro in the movie 
so there is there, he like he keeps coming up to him and he's like what are you doing here old man he's like let me tell you this you must understand you know and he'll like just like i like it, your cogliostro <laughs> yes i, I love i love the way he talks you overgrown yeah. gecko um but yeah so, somebody so the, liked him in the movie setting him off with that uh that uh narration to lead the whole thing yeah, off. yeah <laughs> and again he narrates a lot of the book too so like he definitely was like a an even bigger part of the story at some point i will mention also spawn he has a semi-telepathic power in the book where the armor somehow like allows him to sense people's thoughts and intentions because that comes up quite a few times where he just knows stuff, you know? And so I, I don't know that that's not really in the movie at all, but, but it, it's definitely one more power that they add to it. Um, it's funny. Like I said, I did my little bit of research and like, again, knowing zero about spawn besides what he looks like and like basic plot points, He's had like every power under the sun, hasn't he? <laughs> He's sort of like Superman in that way, where it's like, just keep up in the power level, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, like, it, it's... here, what I want to ask you guys is, you know, we're we're not given much of a an explanation, like you said, Pete, of why does he have these powers? Is he evil, really? Because the only time we see him, he's arguing with Wynn. Hey, you didn't tell me, you know, that there was going to be innocent people there and all this stuff. And it's like, but obviously he's been killing a lot of people for a long time and we think it's justified, I guess. In the comics, it's a lot more gray. In the comics, it's more like, no, he killed a lot of people because he killed a lot of people and he kind of liked it, you know? Um, but do you guys feel sympathy for Michael J. White as Al Simmons? Because they, they really hit that hard. They want you to feel bad for him. They want you to have it, you know, follow him on the journey. What do you think? So I'll, I'll take this for a second. Yeah. So, you know, I think the reason why they chose Al Simmons is because he's good at following orders. Whatever the order is, good, bad, or indifferent, he goes, he executes. And they probably looked at this guy like, okay, he could execute the goals of the devil and whatever because it's that's all he ever does. They never expected he'd have some sort of free will that would come either – when he was alive or when he was dead, whichever. And that's where the twist comes for that character because his free will comes out after he's dead and he doesn't want to conform to what he's being the chosen one to do in a way. I feel more sympathetic for him as it relates to the the girl that we all know as his daughter as opposed to the relationship with the wife because this is a kid he never knew as a, that – it was clearly his kid and you know that's where i had the sympathy for because it's like this is disconnect there and i and i think they were trying to say that without saying it beat us over the head with it right like in the book they say it outright and terry explains it to him in, in much more detail it, it even says i'll just say this real quick that after he died wanda was super depressed and found out she's pregnant and then she tries to overdose on pills and Terry is the one that saves her, gets her to the hospital. When she recovers, they fall in love. Like, that's the story there. So there's a little bit more to it. But go ahead. Sorry. So the other thing that, I'm, you know, as it relates to his, you know, his arc and his just whole thing, you know, like any reluctant hero, he's thrown into a situation that he didn't choose to be in. You know, like the, the John McClane type of a situation where, you know, I got to fight my way out of this to to win or to survive. And, you know, there's, you know, there's an arc there because of that. And 
you just feel for him as because he's a good actor. And like I bought into him, even though I didn't buy into everything else that was going on. And I feel like, you know, though Wynn is the big bad, the the girl who actually is the one that kills him, which was retconned from what happens in the comics. In I, I did a little bit of you know Wikipediaing as well. Yeah. So hey, I wasn't <laughs> just sitting there watching this movie, folks. There you go. Um, I would have liked to see more interaction with him and her fighting because in a way they're kind of, you know, the same yet different in their sort of motives and, and way of being. And I said this when I saw the movie in 97 and I said this last week when I watched it, she should have been sucked into hell when he killed her because well, she eventually in the comics becomes uh, she spawn or some sort of, you know, amalgam of that or whatever. As like a, I think she's like, she spawned two or something like that. Something. Yeah. Well, th- this is the thing here. They had a lot of plans for her in the novelization and in the original script, because here's the thing. So like you said, Michael, originally in the, in the comics, it's chapel. So they changed her name to priest, but uh, in the novelization, they still call her chapel chapel in the book chapel priest she's having an affair with win which again is something you could read into in the movie but it's not said explicitly but we get a whole bunch of scenes with win's family he has two teenage daughters he has a wife named muriel like they spend all this time with him and she's jealous she's you know priest is the other woman she wants him to leave his wife he's like i'll do it my daughters graduate from high school he's stringing her along so she is then betraying win she's in cahoots with another assassin named hyena and he is going to get the heat 16 and she's going to deliver to him and they're going to go off but then he gets killed during that big swiss embassy battle and spawn breaks in through the skylight so there was like a whole other subplot with her going on and according to uh our our guest on our spawn movie merchandise special they you know like when she dies they put her in this cryogenic freeze she was supposed to come back as a cyborg and that was going to be her return moment. I was just like, that would have been awesome. I mean, too much, but awesome. <laughs> but she's coming back as RoboCop. Yeah. So, oh, so they boy. did have more to do with her. And I, yeah, I, I would say it would have been, like you said, way cooler to see their rivalry play out a little earlier. Hey, geeks, it's time to take a break from this episode to tell you about our sponsor, HalloweenCostumes.com, and the great selection of comic book costumes available. Plus, we're going to tell you how you can get 15% off your entire order by using the link in our show notes. I was browsing their site today, and I found their 90s Jim Lee X-Men costumes for Rogue, Cyclops, Wolverine, even Dark Phoenix, and the less evil green look for Jean Grey Phoenix. Uh, If you're more of a Garth Ennis fan, they've got Homelander and Starlight from the boys or multiple versions of the punisher how about taking a jump into the spider verse as miles morales spider gwen agent venom or spider rex it's true kids or adults can be a radioactive spider dinosaur this year on the dc side there's classic batman in the light blue and gray or the complete lineup of teen titans shazam an amazing yvonne craig batgirl 66 costume and so much more plus they've got all the accessories you need to make your costume as authentic as 
you desire. Of course, all the other areas of pop culture, from movies to classic TV and cartoons, are all represented at HalloweenCostumes.com. So, just take a look at our show notes for this episode and follow the link today to get 15% off your entire order between now and October 31st. Happy haunting, geeks! The other thing I, I think about this movie is there's just, and I believe this is just you know a, a subject of this the editing is they cut out so much like of the meat and there's there's like really good moments when there are like the calm moments or like the the learning moments or or even like before he becomes Spawn like he becomes Spawn so early in the movie that we don't. We don't care enough about him as Al Simmons before he becomes Spawn. And, you know, we don't know anything about this guy. Like, it's not like, you know, Batman 89 where he's already Batman. And then we have the flashback, you know, halfway through the movie. Everybody knows who Batman is. Not everybody knows who Al Simmons is or Spawn that we should genuinely care about his. Why is he in this particular, you know, paramilitary group? Who is this organization that he works for? We don't know any of that. We still don't even really know toward the end of the movie. I don't know what this organization is, you know, (laughs) but to answer your question from earlier, you know, what's the plot of this movie? And I think the plot is essentially, you know, Wynn wants to theoretically be immortal or be like a god of some sort or king of whatever. The most powerful man on earth. Yeah, correct. And so somehow he makes a deal with the devil or, you know, the violator or the clown or whatever, you know, whatever to call it, in order to keep himself alive and he'll fulfill whatever the devil wants as long as he gets his end of the bargain. And so the idea is, you know, when the clown manipulates him into putting that like pacemaker in, he fit, they, they both figured him and the devil that Spawn being someone who is just there to follow orders and does what he does, he'll kill Wynn. And when he finds out that Wynn was the one that killed him and did all these horrible things, yada, 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 he'll use his anger to fulfill their prophecy of the overarching narrative of, you know, hell. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's the uh, the old um, anti-hero stock pro- thing, which is like, instead of vengeance or revenge, they decide they need to get justice, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, you know, uh, they're relying on Spawn to go after this guy for vengeance, and they keep trying to push that narrative a little bit, so. Yeah, and here's the thing, too, like, so, like, getting back real quick just to the idea of, okay, are we supposed to feel bad for him? There was a lot more in this movie of Spawn basically getting picked on, like, when he comes to Earth, like, that everybody <laughs> on Earth is terrible, and, like, so, you know those those three, like, punker guys that are in the, the graveyard and they're doing their sacrifice, they're doing their Satanist ritual thing? Mm-hmm. Well, in the book, they show up earlier, and they actually, like... Spawn is at a gas station while the violator goes into a convenience store and gets some food. Cause you know, there's that scene when he comes out to the alley before he eats the pizza, yeah. he's got some food, he got a drink or whatever. So like, there's a whole scene there where Spawn is still in a daze and those punks ride up on motorcycles and they see him and they start picking on him. Then they pee on him. All three of them pee on him. Then they get uh, uh, from the gas pump, the gas pump, and they douse him with gasoline. They throw him in a dumpster and light him on fire. 
Like it is just this huge scene. You're like, what is going? And then like, there's also a scene very briefly when he's coming out. So they're of the murderers, is what you're saying. Yeah, they're murderers. <laughs> and then you see like, there's these people on rollerblades, and they knock this guy down and then take off. Like it's so quick, it's nothing. In the movie or in the book, in the novelization, it's this whole scene where he's learning more about his powers because it's these two punks on rollerblades trying to fight him, and then he realizes how strong he is. Plus, in the in the book, they say he's like seven foot something. He's super wide and bigger than a human being so that's another thing you don't quite see in this you know but it's I like i want to point that i gotta point that out so the one thing that i kept thinking about in this movie look at the poster look at the the, the advertisement spawn looks short yeah like, the whole thing he looks short and i'm like how tall is michael Jai? Like, oh he's only like 5 11 or 5 10 but he looks like he's like like wolverine height he's like four eight well, i think it's <laughs> tough too when you put him up against like you know like a creature like violator which is huge you but, know and it's but like even it almost still, the, 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 the more, you know cover art to the like this the vhs or the dvd or even the movie poster he just they frame him in such a way where there's a lot of headroom. He doesn't look big. He doesn't look menacing. Well, and the giant cape doesn't help either because it's just like, oh, you look like a little kid who put on your dad's robe, you know? <laughs> so let's get into this. So obviously, like, the first thing that comes to mind is, boy, this movie, you could use some work. But is there, like, a specific scene that works best for you guys that did get you a little bit excited, whether it was saying, well, if more of the movie was like this or you know, they hit it here. Like they got it right. Is there something like a sequence that jumps out to you? The ballroom scene is the best scene in the movie. I think. Yeah. It's pretty great. See, I think it's okay. I mean, I love the, the Cape and everything when it's billowing, when he's coming down there, it's a great entrance, but like, it's all gun caught of it. And it looks silly. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, I actually like the knockdown drag out nature of the first fight between him and violator. You know, it's like, it's dark. It's a broody fight. You know, like they're kind of in an interesting location, you know, like the top of this church or whatever that they're in the back of. Um, Basically the back lot of the, the, the Crow movie. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, that one really works for me. And it, I think because it speaks also to the nature of the character, like take away the spawn outfit. And he, you know, like, like it, they've just told him that like the only way he's going to die is if he uses too much of his powers or if his head gets cut off. And people Which are I, shooting guns at him and he's like running and hiding behind a fountain, you know, and it's like, I don't know, like that, that's like, you know, at, at any other like gun shoot him up movie. I kind of like, the I, more I think supernatural that's instinctual ending. though. Like yeah. that's just, he's I not probably, used to having yeah. powers. He's like, oh, yeah, you run and hide. that's what you do. But like, I, I would agree with Michael, like that sequence, just like, I, what I love is I think they did a great job on the costume. Pete, you were talking about this earlier. The practical effects of this yeah. movie are good. And yeah, like the costume is very good. It looks cool. And like, you know, it, he, doesn't, he really doesn't need the cape. He looks awesome when he's flipping around and like, you know, they, they do a lot of fun stuff with it. But I specifically love after, you know, he kills Priest and he goes out the window and he's on the side of the building. It just shows you what a Spider-Man movie could have been <laughs> in the 90s. Like it was possible when he has his suction cup hands, you know, when he falls and then his chains go out and save him. Like all of that actually looks good. Like, you know, it's better than the 70s Spider-Man show. But isn't you know? it also kind of awful? Like he comes out and he like blends into the wall for a second and then it just stops blending into the wall for whatever reason and then all like a hundred cops are shooting at him and he's just sort of like slowly <laughs> climbing along the wall well apparently like, he, he was supposed to have like these wings 
that would grow out of him and like his cape would kind of turn into this like i don't want to say hang glider but like they, they actually made an action figure of it which was this these giant wings that he would fly away on and i guess they just decided to go with the cape and make him float around instead yeah, they but use the cape he, as almost like a mythological sort of you know carrier pigeon <laughs> yeah. let me tell you i would have loved to have seen those wings in a few scenes not the least of which is when he does escape hell where he's got that green rocket shooting out of his butt essentially <laughs> uh, how much cooler would that have been if he had some big old gothic red cape wings or something yeah. you know <laughs> I, mean, I gotta say i also love the motorcycle scene that's one that has always stood out to me i love the spawn cycle how you know he turns it into his own style of thing and i love at the end like how he turns into that spike in the road and then it you know the semi runs into it like i think all of that is like really it's that is some you know really well choreographed stunt work and again like we say like if if it exceeds anywhere it's like there's some good fight scenes and there's some good stunts that they pulled off you know even priest falling off that balcony into the table you know like all of that help me with the cape here a little bit because like maybe you know better than i do i i thought i saw or read or heard something that was talking about that the cape is in a like a similar vein to like Doctor Strange's cloak, that it's yes. not really part of his powers. It's more like a like parasite or like something that like is working in tangent with him. Is that yeah? It's like an entity, yeah. That, that basically kind of has a mind of its own too. It could do yeah, a I was lot. Say, of because something was saying like you know, in order for him to like not extinguish too much of his like necro powers or whatever, which would kill him or, or condemn him to hell, that he tends to lean on the cape a lot, which I think is kind of a fun thing. Yeah, well, there's like a scene in one of the early comics where his cape is off. And uh, oh, no, never mind. That, that's his mask. I was just thinking, but his mask, you know, his costume is alive too. And one of the bums like grabs his mask and puts it on, like, hey, look at me, I'm Al. And then it starts suffocating him because yeah. he's not supposed to be wearing it. So, because um, I think that's what confused me probably as a kid and maybe even still a little bit is like when you do see like the legions of hell and it's all just like, presumably people that are like in the same like hell spawn type of outfit it's Mm -hmm. like so could they have these levels of power that he has or like what's the thing that makes him different you know outside of again being like the chosen one and you know following that sort of mythology you know like do they all have like chain powers and and you know like you know all like spiky hand and Lots of spikes. Yeah, that, that's my biggest one. It's just like, why do they all look exactly like him? Well, we know, like you said, it was cheaper to send Michael J. Yeah. White do his, <laughs> and paste, his different copy movements. And paste, yeah, copy and paste. but like, but it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense as to why that would be, you know, the case. You know, like because they, if they all have the powers, they all have the powers. What do they need him for other than he's a better fighter than anybody in history? A better strategy. And they want him to be the leader. I think like they yeah. want him to lead this army, but. But so he seems more like a follower to me. Like he just follows orders. He's not a general of any sort. What what always stood out to me though is the ending of the movie is feels so low stakes. I mean, like, yes, it's like it's all the big characters in one living room, but the fight is in a living room. They even made a playset of the living room <laughs> for the toys because <laughs> that was the final scene and i'll tell you about you know what what happened in the book in a second but what do you guys it's think a- about that yeah it's all about it was money insane. you know like budget I, you get the the initial lead-in of you know oh it's actually the violator but he's you know in like a, a form of, of al's wife and you know he's gonna trick him and all this sort of thing but the whole thing comes undone as soon as like cagliostro just pops up and appears and like stabs him one ah, then he runs away it's like why you know like you've proven yourself like a 
vicious badass just transform and take them both off you know uh, it it definitely did i 100 agree with you adam feels super low stakes like you, you kind of have these couple of big action set pieces earlier in the film and then it does that and so i i think it was like they were just trying to like up the stakes a little bit of like oh well you know he's threatening her life and like they got to try and trick him and push him over the edge so like maybe that's the location that makes the most sense for her to be you know what i mean but like yeah i don't know i i kind of wish that like you know once it spilled over into hell and then back out of hell that it like fell out into the streets of the city again and it was like a big knock down drag out or something or his lair I think like been more spawns fun. lair yeah, on top yeah of you got that whole alley thing. set that church set again yeah yeah, yeah. like bring her back well here, here's you know, like big... how cool would it have oh. been like for violator to be fighting both spawn and cagliostro like tooth and nail until spawn finally manages to get one over on him you know instead of it i mean it was cool effect of him like bleeding out of that bookcase and all that sort of thing that's one of the better looking you know visual effects in the film but yeah, no, I wish it had been something a little bigger and more interesting, but maybe yeah. that's like the Marvel movie giant action set pieces. In you, you know what I think? <laughs> and, and I wonder if this was something that hit the cutting room floor. There's probably a couple of scenes in the house, and it's like, what better way to torture Al Simmons if I'm going to kill your family in your house? But we never see him in that house prior to being spawned. So we don't have any connection to that room or anything at all. So I think that's a big kind of confusion. Now, I want to mention another thing. Remember at the daughter's birthday party when the clown gives her like the little stuffed animal clown of him and it puffs out green smoke into her face? They never pay that off in the movie. Like what is what is that all about? I think it's just supposed to be like burp breath. Like, I yeah, think that's they do the is. same thing later when he farts the same green smoke. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was some sort of like maybe like hallucinogen or poison or like some sort of like Joker gas that will eventually. I mean, forgetting turn all her. that because that's that's something you could hang on to. But how about like what responsible parents hire that guy to be the clown at their kids' party? He's the yeah. creepiest. Yeah, and they send him <laughs> away as soon as they can. Like they realize how creepy he is. But they also in the book at least, um, it says that Jason Wynn says he hired him. He's like, oh, I'm sending a clown to Cyan's yeah. birthday party. So like that part is is ex explained yeah. as well. But getting back to the finale here, guys, it does happen in three acts. Like this ending in the book is gigantic. Like the first is, so Wynn's family gets killed. And basically he just like keeps getting crazier, like more unhinged as the story goes on in the book. And he also, this would have been a great thing for them to mention. He has like one line in the movie but like he has a thing for wanda so his plan is my wife's dead i'm gonna make wanda my little you know vixen and all this kind of stuff he's talking about so he's a super creep so the first part of it is he has everybody tied up and he's like torturing them and he's like doing all this bad stuff to him you know and spawn shows up and then violator comes out you know clown shows up and drags cogliostro and spawn because now they're both there to try and defeat the violator down into the basement and there's this basement that's like a hellscape with a portal to hell that they're fighting in front of and like the, the different denizens of hell keep clawing out at them and trying to pull them in and all this kind of stuff and spawn gets like pinned to a wall by this hell knife that the clown pulls out of the portal so he can't move and cogliostro sends him away like he does in the movie so after all that happens, though, then they 
get with Jason Wynn and basically Cogliostra has this hypnotizing relic called the Spear of Destiny and it forces <laughs> anybody to do what he says. So then they say, now we have to go stop Heat 16 from getting shipped out across the world. So all of a sudden, Zach the homeless kid is there for no reason and everybody, Terry, Wanda, Cyan, Zach, everybody gets teleported by Cogliostro to the docks and now they're going to they're gonna stop the Heat 16 from going out, but the Violator shows up again. They have another fight with the Violator. That's where Spawn finally does that little, you know, buzzsaw thing and cuts off his head. Then Spawn goes up to the crate that's up on a, a crane and Spaz the dog shows up. Spaz the dog has been missing <laughs> the whole book. Everybody's like, where's Spaz? And he shows up at the end. He's in the crane operating station. He pushes a button and lowers the crate back down. All the while, a news team is there harassing Jason Wynn saying, hey, we heard that there is a, you know, a plague that you're keeping in there. What? No, that's crazy. It's just cleaning supplies. It is ridiculous the amount of stuff that happens over and over again. Finally, guys, after all this done and Jason Wynn has found out and the world knows, Cogliostro and Al Simmons are walking away arm in arm. They're just like, buddy, buddy. And Cogliostro is like, oh, well, Cyan knows you're her father now, even though she doesn't. But he's like, you know, he, she met her father tonight. And he says, you guys have something in common. You both both met your fathers. And Spawn's like, what? And he's like, yeah. I was married to your mother for the first three years of your life because your first dad, your actual dad ran off on her. And I had to protect you from the clown for the first three years of your life. And you're just like, just the three, though. Everybody just gets the three. three. He's like, then I, had to take off. I thought he was dead for like a couple hundred years. No, he's been fighting in the book. He's been fighting Malbolgia for all these centuries. And then he says, Spawn, now you have to take over my fight. I'm too old now. You're the one who's going to continue battling against Malbolgia. That was the end of the book. That was the end of the original story. As an aside, if I'm not much mistaken, isn't the Spear of Destiny according to uh, Catholicism, the spear that stabbed Jesus. I think that's where that... It's got to be, yeah. <laughs> this guy's been putting that around for, for 2,000 years, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But if I was just like, wow, like, I mean, what I just explained, would you have wanted to see all of that? Or would you have Not preferred... all of it. Yeah. <laughs> certainly portions of it, you know, okay. especially in the vein of, like I already said, like a, a bigger, more interesting couple of set pieces and, and Cogliostro and Spawn teaming up with Fighting Violator. I know I saw something in the mix of of the spawn powers that he at some point has the ability to communicate with animals. Maybe that's how they're using it to, to that, Spaz, that, go press that button. Right. No, and that, that kind of is it. Like, yeah, he talks to Spaz, which is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so th that part they could leave on the cutting room floor and I'd be okay with it. <laughs> well, and also, Zach, why is this kid, Miko Hughes, you know, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina, kindergarten cop. <laughs> That's right, that movie? is that kid, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so weird. They, the Like, one of the early interviews Wizard does for the movie is with that kid. He's like, I nice. love Todd McFarlane, I love Spawn Comics. So maybe his agent, you know, is just like... Well, no, you, you know, he's... The kids that are watching that movie he's he's your you know like robin to your batman he's the lead in in the way that we can see the movie through that younger generation's eyes you know yeah. he's not even 13 though he couldn't even go to see the movie pg-13 yeah. yeah um so this is what i always feel like we come to at least with this first batch of movies is how do you make it better like if there was something this is actually super add. easy to answer okay what is it 
you wait another 10 years yeah. <laughs> honestly like spawn uh, for better or worse before it's time the the graphics weren't there the probably um more saturated nature in in um you know the public knowing who the character is isn't necessarily there darker superhero movies are not quite accepted as much yet you know if they push that back another 10 years you know i you know i think they get a better movie um or yeah, could you imagine this in 2007 yeah Man, like, well that's what i'm saying it and, been and, you a know, bigger I'm honestly, market like really kind of shocked and i don't know if it's a rights thing or what has kept this movie from being rebooted I mean, or remade was now. gonna be in it like he agreed to play yeah. al simmons and it won that todd mcfarland was spearheading and it just never came together and i think it's gotta be budget at least because he was going with blumhouse and trying to do a low budget thing where he said yeah. spawn won't even be like he'll just be in the shadows all the time and it's kind of like a gangster crime film and like yeah. i was like that doesn't sound appealing at all but but he was he was trying to go low budget and i just i don't know it must be the same thing like I want creative control because Todd McFarlane's even said, I want to direct this new movie. And I'm sure no studio is agreeing to that. He wanted to direct this one. And they said, yeah, no. I mean, I think this movie has a lot of interesting ideas and I don't think it's like a complete failure or anything. It's certainly a product of its time. You know what I mean? Um, especially like when you start looking at like the Graham Revel score and, you know, yeah, like, it's good. Just everything about it feels very 90s. So in a way, it's the perfect product of its time. But like, I would love to see them redo a Spawn movie now. Just like, you know, throw it out, start over as they've done with Batman and other things so many times and like bring that character out now with like all the stuff they could do. They could do a really and now like nobody would flinch at them doing an R-rated version of this movie. You Especially know what I mean? like with, you know, they're bringing back a sequel to Constantine, like, like. All, all the timing is kind of right for that kind of thing and you know for better or worse people are getting tired of the marvel formula but to see another superhero that's a darker hero an image comic you know that might draw some people's eyes now and you could do it with a proper budget with a proper visual effects team and really make something special and now not only that now you have 30 years of spawn stories to tell where you only had five back then five or six right i mean but i feel like they could oh, easily God. franchise this even over at like an amazon or an hbo yeah. you know and like it doesn't even have to be a movie they could easily do a spawn series and be able to you know already blow out of the water you know, anything resembling the first one i'm sure yeah well the one thing i want to put in this movie's favor is that you know, we, we talk about like, you know, representation these days and obviously like we had Meteor Man, you know, was like the, the first real you know African-American hero at this time, right after Spawn, we're getting Blade, right? So it, it was happening. This and is I, the I've first actually... serious take on a, on a right. black superhero. And, but yeah. they don't make any mention of it. It's not important. His race has nothing to do with it. The character just happens to be a black man. And I think that is a huge like a point in its favor. They didn't try to make uh -huh. 100%. hip hop they didn't try to you know like get get into like the stuff of the time which would make so many of those things dated you know and so i think like that and that's why that i say yeah choice. it's definitely like ahead of its time in respects like that yeah. you know what i mean like they, they just there's things that they did with this that were like you know they were gonna do it and they didn't care what anybody said because i'm sure that a movie like this also had like they used to call that mad m-a-d-d or i guess the, the mothers against drink drunk driving but like oh. there's a group similar to that that was like you know 
like oh tipper doors the same ones that put like labels on cds and stuff like that you know the parental advisory you know i i do think this you know there this movie is better than the phantom i will say that yeah um it's got a lot of good elements to it if if you can look past the horrid visual effects and martin sheen's very very one-dimensional performance and the wife's very very flat performance there's there's stuff that's there again i don't particularly like you know the clown and john leguizamo other than in the movie that he just was in the menu where he gets burned alive (laughs) wow yeah yeah, it's one of the this is a movie for me that i do have a fond like memory of because it's like I I see it and I say, yeah, it's of its time, like we've been saying this whole time, but it also, it feels slightly more, more coherent than a lot of what was coming out at this time. So I, I, I give it a break in a lot of ways for that, but like, even like I, I mentioned this on our, on our uh, movie merchandise special, but the shadow, which is a movie I love is not good. It's not, it's not a well-made movie and I love the writing of it and some of the scenes, but I almost feel like Spawn is a better, a more successful movie than the shadow, even though the shadow you know, like has some better special effects in it. Cause that's kind of, a, it, it was, you know, being touted as a special effect and it had a lot more money behind it too. Uh, but, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, Spawn kind of on its own stands pretty well and, and, and works out. Uh, I, I, I don't hate going back to watching it. I own multiple copies. I mean, there's, there's something to be said there. And my hope is that like you're saying, Pete, we want to see it now in the 21st century. We're getting blade again. Maybe history will kind of like follow yeah. a similar trajectory. <laughs> you know, we get Blade comes out and then we get a new Spawn movie. Who knows? But uh, I mean, like, honestly, I know in recent this... years, like they've had like King Spawn, they've had Gunfighter Spawn. I mean, like it's they've been doing a lot with this character. So it's a little surprising, again, unless there's some weird rights thing that's really holding this up. You know, maybe New Line still has some like rip, you know, on, on the rights or something. It seems like a no-brainer to me to 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 launch this and, and to do something with it, you know. And honestly, McFarlane's got enough money in his toy company; he <laughs> could finance the fucking thing himself. Yeah. Like he doesn't need a studio; he can just be like, "Okay, I'll make this movie, and maybe Blumhouse will be able to distribute it, and they'll help for distribute it." But like, like he could just finance the movie himself if he really wanted to make it, like. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was thinking too. Is like at some point he's just gotta hire a director and get his cast together, and the, the money talks. You know, uh, Michael. One real quick thing I want to bring up though about the novelization. You mentioned the Phantom. The guy who did the novelization for Spawn also did the novelization for the Phantom, which is he did me all up. of those novelizations. <laughs> if it's you a lower budget, for like yeah. you know, like did the he next do the Batman eighty nine novelization where where Batman's on a horse? <laughs> <laughs> the the next time we get together for this, Adam, here's your homework. I'd love to know if you could think about how many of these movie novelizations you've read over time. I'd love to know. <laughs> I love them. And hey, if you love movie novelizations or you're curious, my buddy Paxton Hawley, who has been on the podcast way back when, he has an entire podcast called I Read Movies, where he covers movie novelizations, and it's fascinating. All the stuff I'll you admit, learn. I've read a few over time. They yeah. they're mostly star wars tied in thing okay like uh like some of the rogue one stuff was really good but yeah. uh yeah it, but it is always interesting how those novels can sort of like build on and expand on 
and you wonder how close they are to the original script. Yeah. Speaking of which, here's a fun one for you guys. What's your favorite terrible line in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> really, like the clown is obviously the one you have to go to. He has so many, so many that he's throwing out there. But like, I love when he's like, you know, he's dubbing him, you know, I dub the spawn and then he keeps going, you know, I, yes. I try to remember what he says specifically, like the Duke of deep fried, um, like there, there's a bunch of those that he adds on to it. And so My that kind of cracks me up. favorite is you filthy little piece of vermin. First of all, <laughs> you can tell that's a PG 13 edit. What yeah. makes you think I would join your army? You can take that army of yours and shove it. <laughs> yeah, the R-rated version, the director's cut, is 100% not PC. It is not, yeah. I'm not even going to say it. Like, it's bad. The, uh, I just love that. Filthy little piece of vermin. Nobody's ever <laughs> uttered that line ever in the history of mankind. <laughs> There's a lot of lines that um, Martin Sheen has that I'm just oh, like, yeah. Oh, it's just like douche chills. You're just like, oh, oh, oh who wrote that? Look, oh, the, he, he doesn't have the West Wing for like another six months. The guy needs a check, right? <laughs> I guess so. He did it for his grandson. Oof. That's what he said. All right. But you mentioned next time, Pete. So we got to talk about this real quick, guys. We've been torturing Michael. And so I want to throw out to Michael. Let, let's offer something to him. We're going to still let you vote, Patreon, on the next uh, movie we're going to watch. But we are going to let them all be movies that Michael would actually be excited to talk about. Let's give him a break. Uh, he's been through hell these last three episodes. So, Michael, if you had to choose what three superhero movies from the 90s or comic book related you know, adaptations would you want to, even if they've been on the, the polls before, what do you want to put out there? Uh, isn't like but, Blank Man perpetually a movie that you guys yeah. like, haven't done and you want to? I mean, Blank Man, you know, Meteor Man, we've talked about forever. I do like your option of heroes with humor and doing Blank Man, The Mask, or Mystery Men. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm game for that. That, okay. that I'd be okay with. I would. I'm love a rare soul who loves Mystery Men. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie, man. It's, it's pretty good funny. Movie. I do like the Dolph Lundgren Judge Dredd you know, you know, Stallone one version, yeah. but I don't know what we would do as a third movie for that. Maybe we'd throw blade back in there. Cause that's what I was thinking, but yeah, so. mix it back in. So like, what well, what appeals to you most of humorous comic book movies versus like heavy action comic book movies? What do you, what well, would this you was pretty do? heavy action. So let's go with the humor one for next time. Okay. I'd be okay Cause I'd love to see people, you know, see what would happen if they, you know, pulled out, you know, Blank Man and, and make yeah. you guys watch Blank Man. <laughs> well, and the good news is I'm almost certain that the mask is going to win. But if you guys love Michael, vote for Blank Man, please. <laughs> if you love Pete, vote for Mystery just, Man. Just don't <laughs> vote for like the mask too or son of the yeah, mask. Or whatever of the, mask. <laughs> the mask, the mask is probably going to win. And that works in your favor because 90 or 90 super cinema box office 30 you guys are going to be coming up next year on 1994 when that movie came out. So it'd be one you could actually use sooner than later uh, on yes. the podcast. So 
All right. Well, let's let's make that's what I might even show my daughter at this age. She might be good for the mask. I don't know. There's a lot of inappropriate humor in that movie. It's a lot of sexual humor. Yeah, but that's what I say. That usually goes over kids' heads. So I don't know. I don't know. It's always pretty smart. (laughs) Pretty quick. All right. Well, good. Well, hey, thanks everybody for joining us for this episode. Hopefully we didn't crap on it too much. We just wanted it to be better. And I think everybody (laughs) in the world, that's kind of unanimous. We wanted it to be better. Uh, But Spawn, it's been covered. We've discussed it. And we've disgusted by it. (laughs) We've been disgusted (laughs) by it. (laughs) And hey, we'll check in with you next time. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.